If you have your Bibles, would you please open up to Nehemiah chapter 5? This is going to be, uh, uh, I think, a very appropriate study uh, for what we're going through as a a church. And in Nehemiah uh, chapter 5 is where we're going to be again. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 19. But I'd like to lead off with a passage in Leviticus. This is from the Law of Moses. And in Leviticus 25, verses 35 through 40, it says, If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if one of you brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and and he shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. Now, we've seen these attacks come from the outside against Nehemiah and the team that was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, you, you saw the discouragement, you, you saw the, the lies uh, that were being spread, but now there's a different type of enemy that is attacking the city of Jerusalem. It's important to notice at the get-go that any problem that we have as the people of God, those that are uh, of the church, we have in direct result, we have as a direct result from veering away from God's word. Jesus, again, as I mentioned earlier, said, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. And so looking back through history, Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians because they ignored the word of God. And now even the remnant of Jews that are in the city are living, uh, that are living there have found themselves in trouble because again, they veered from God's word. And this is true for us even today. What's true for them is true for us. We veer from God's word, you face big trouble. Big trouble. Because here we see a great problem beginning in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. This is the problem in our first section here. It says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, We, our sons, this is verse 2 of Nehemiah 5, And our daughters are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses, and we have done so that we might buy grain because of the famine. Verse four, there were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is is as the flesh of our children, our children as their children. And indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It's not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Now, the other men is not referring to Sanballat and Tobiah, those guys that were listed, you know, as the enemies of the people in Jerusalem. This isn't an enemy that's outside of the gates of the city of Jerusalem. This is actually a familiar face, someone that they have worked with and served with. Uh, This isn't someone from outside their group somebody that's inside their group. I think it's important to understand that if the enemy cannot be victorious in in attacking from the outside, that he'll try attacking from the inside. 
I mean, we might have gotten to the point where we recognize the attacks of Satan. They're blatant, they're obvious, and we become impervious to those outside attacks of, you know, women flirting with us at the office. And so the enemy tries to get you to fight with your wife, uh, the person that you ought to be linking arms with, you know, and fighting your common enemy, which is the devil. You now have your shields faced uh, against each other. A division, a strife, self-centeredness. Sounds a lot like what's happening in our country today. Instead of linking arms, we're fighting with one another. We're judging one another. I mean, even this whole thing that's happened since George Floyd's uh, uh, death. I mean, it's divided families. It's divided churches. And you know right well that it's divided our country. See, what's happening now back in context in the city of Jerusalem was that the people were that were poor were having to sell their kids as servants to their friends so that they could repay their debts. And if that doesn't just make you say that's messed up, I don't know if you know what's messed up. See, they would try to pay. Uh, they would try to pay with the grain from their harvest. Okay, you know, I don't have the the cash on hand, but I do have grain, and so I'll give you this grain to to pay off my debt. But then they didn't have enough food to eat, and their neighbors, interestingly enough, were the ones that owned their homes, and their children were their servants in their house. I mean, how is that? Leviticus 25 verses 35 through, uh, through 37 says, If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. And he says, Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. Verse 37, You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. There were people in Jerusalem making a profit, off of others' misfortunes. You know, a lot of stuff has been floating around in the political world that, you know, never let uh, an emergency or a pandemic go to waste. Never let looting and riots go to waste. You know, basically speaking to the point of using these things for your own personal gain. Uh, the people in Jerusalem, they were not only lending out money, but they were doing so like loan sharks. Uh, charging exorbitant amounts of interest, you know, impossible to pay back. You know, you owe me your life if I give you, you know, this, this, uh, you know, cash advance kind of thing. Uh, now, the people may have been able to resist the enemy from the outside, those people that were trying to attack them, but they were succumbing to the enemy on the inside. And Nehemiah, and I think it's also uh, a very, very important leadership quality to have. Nehemiah did not only have to defend from the defend the people in the in the city from the attacks on the outside, but also from the inside as well. Often we can be so focused on what's happening out there that we forget to watch what's happening in here. Greed was taking the people to a place where they were not thinking of others, but only about profit. And they were even profiting, as I mentioned, off of others' misfortunes. See, greed goes really hand in hand with selfishness and self-focus, doesn't it? When you think about it, uh, where you feel like you're the most important person in the world and what you want to do is more important than any, what anybody else wants to do. Uh, this angered Nehemiah, and rightfully so, this angered Nehemiah, and I would even say in a righteous way, because they just overcame their terrible enemy, and now they're crumbling from the inside. This ought not to be so. See, when we're consumed with ourselves, we're no longer looking out for the best interests of others. 
or our brothers and sisters in Christ or the needs in our community or what's happening. We're more focused on ourselves. That's not the heart of Christ. That's self-centeredness, and that's wrong. And when we become more concerned with what is a gain uh, over what is good, then we've really lost the plot. How do I gain from this versus what is good in this? And I think this is also very important for us in navigating our culture right now is stay true to what God's word says. You're going to get 55 different opinions and they all contradict the, they all contradict each other. What you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you did wrong, what you didn't do right, all of these things. The best thing that you can do is live your life according to God's word, not according to the pressures of culture. Culture will change and it fluctuates and it's up and down and it's all over the place. The word of God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so the needs that you see in society are not going to be remedied by the remedy that society comes up with. It's going to be fixed and healed and renewed and restored through what the word of God says alone can do such things. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus at work in a community's life. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 8, cross-reference for you. It says this, No, you yourselves, you do wrong, and you cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. He is addressing an issue in the church, Paul was, the church in Corinth, where you're doing these wrong things, and you're doing them to people that are in the church. So not to be so. See, when it comes to helping out our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to help out without expecting anything in return. That's an important important view to have on how we give of ourselves. You know, we may like it when we find something that we have as a leverage over someone or a favor. Hey man, you owe me. You owe me. And when I need to call on that favor, I will. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 6 verse 34. He says, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. Exodus 22, verse 25 says, If you lend money to any of my people, the Lord speaking, who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. So what we need to see as the church in action is helping people without expecting anything in return. We see a response to this problem now beginning in verse 6. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry, it says, and these words. After serious thought, he says in verse 7, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called, Nehemiah says, I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? And then it says, look at the end of verse 8. Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Nehemiah was upset. You better believe he was upset. What was happening was wrong. This was a terrible thing that was taking place with the people by their own people. Exacting usury means that they were loaning at an insanely high interest rate. The leaders of the people, the nobles, were the ones that were using the people for their own personal gain. And Nehemiah at least had the courage to stand up for what was right. 
and it says they had nothing to say. Now with a large group of people, uh, sometimes you can have people that are more receptive and then you can have others that are not so receptive. Uh, you can have some bad people in a group and they influence and lead and kind of direct something that may have started off peacefully and turned it into a mob. Listen, it takes guts to stand up for what's right. It, it, it takes it takes a backbone to, to be able to point out something, hey, this is wrong and needs to be changed. But you know the good thing, the good thing that the Lord has done for us is that the light of Christ exposes sin. When you know the word of God and you know who Jesus is and you look at the teachings that are found in the scripture that both Jesus gave and Paul the apostle and the other apostles and the prophets and Moses and you go from Genesis to Revelation, the light of Christ exposes sin. The light of the scriptures exposes sin. See, what Satan likes to do is to take something that is sinful on this end and sinful on this end and have them collide and then have the collateral damage continue to roll out and roll out and roll out and roll out. But see, somebody that has a firm grasp on what God's word says and who is born again and filled with the Holy Spirit is able to sift through all the confusion able to sift through all the misinformation because you look at what's happening, you hold it against what God's word says. This gives you your plan of action. What can I do to affect change when I see that there is an issue here? And I know that that's an issue because I know what God's word says. Because there are some people that the scriptures say, Paul said that their conscience or their conscience is seared like with a hot iron. Which means that those God-given commandments and God-given conscience, they'll try to strike God, the God-given commandments from any, anywhere in, in public. And then they'll keep doing that which is wrong so that their God-given conscience gets seared so it's numb now. And so what do you do with those people? How, there's nothing except the power of the Holy Spirit that can change that individual's life. See, the light of Christ will shine on an area and say, this is not pleasing to the Lord. And your options are to either go into deeper depths of darkness or to repent and come to the light and say, Lord, I need help. Forgive me. Nehemiah was the type of leader that stood up. He was courageous. He said, what's happening is wrong. We need to do something about it. And interestingly enough, they had nothing to say when they were called out. And we might think, wow, good on Nehemiah. You know, well done, Nehemiah. But the words that he spoke, I hope you notice that this wasn't some pep talk. This wasn't some cleverly crafted video. This wasn't some uh, uh, concoction uh, of man's doing. Do you realize that the words that Nehemiah used that cut to the heart of the issue with the people, they were from the word of God. They were God's words. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even down to the innermost recesses of our being. That's the word of God. The one that a spirit-filled Christian should be applying to his life on a daily basis. Living according to God's word. How can a man cleanse his way? By living according to God's word. 
This is what Nehemiah did. The words that he spoke were from the scriptures. That's why they had power. That's why they weren't able to be misconstrued or twisted. It's like, read it for yourself. This is what God's word says. This is the solution to the problem. You have veered from God's perfect plan and you are now faced with a big problem. That's our country. We have veered from God's plan and now we're faced with a big problem. And the only thing that's going to fix that big problem is our big God who gave us his word to begin with. And so we need to get back to that. That's where the authority lies. And so in verse 9, Nehemiah says, what are you doing? Or actually, I probably would say, what are you doing? He actually says, what you are doing is not good. Not good. Should you not walk, verse 9, in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations and our enemies? Nehemiah is basically saying, that the people not working out what they needed to work out, that the people with this issue that they had presented really brought upon themselves would not be worked out, would not stop, and it would actually defeat them. It would defeat them without ever there being an outside enemy attack upon them. Now, we cannot seek to separate our money from our relationship with the Lord or any area of our life from our relationship with the Lord. Because truly anything that we have or that is connected to us, it should be by God and for God and because of God. That's it. And if you live your life just like that, this is by God and this is for God and this is because of God, then you'll be okay. You'll do well. In verse 10, he says, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. He's like, I'm going to lend them and help them. They need something. We're going to provide it for them. As much as is within our power to help, we want to help. That's my motto. That's our church's motto. I hope it's our, our individual members of our church's motto. But he says, please let us stop the usury. Stop ripping people off. In verse 11, restore now to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. And so they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. And so here really the, the, the moral of the story, if you will, this historical a uh, factual event that took place that's recorded for us in the name after the man that we're learning about, Nehemiah. The moral of the story, Nehemiah stands up for what's right. He uses the word of God as his authority. He uses the word of God to guide him and to give him wisdom and to present a solution to the problem. I mean, Nehemiah did stand up and it could have gone completely different. I mean, often before we make a decision, we factor in the probability uh, in the outcome when making decisions rather than is it simply right or wrong? I, I, I know that there's a, a lot of uh, differing opinions, you know, but I, I just think that when it comes to making decisions, we have to be able to know, is this right or is this wrong? And the only way that we're going to know if this is right or if this is wrong is if we know the word of God. If we know the word of God. And so we, we got to be careful about that. We got to be careful that we're not being silenced because it's not popular. 
or it doesn't fit the agenda of maybe somebody that's popular on social media or a celebrity of some kind. You know, we got to be careful about those things. Oh, you don't agree with me? You know, I, 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 I don't know even how to even process some of the things that I've been, I've been seeing, you know, on the, on the news lately. But I think instead of digressing, which I really feel like doing right now, I'm not going to do it. But I just think for us as the church, um, we want to respond to things in a way that honors the Lord. We want to respond to things in a way that points people to the Lord, that brings glory to God. Uh, Restoration, what we need in our society, it comes from the Lord. And when his people participate in the work of restoring people's lives and restoring broken homes or the like, it pleases the Lord. It's pleasing to him. I want to be about that. I believe that in my heart to be something that God has called every Christian to do. This is what Nehemiah did. And he's a great example for us. In verse 13, as we begin to wrap up here, he says, Then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. And even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly, verse 13, said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And then the people did according to this promise. Uh, the people of God did what they promised. How about that? Uh, I bring, you bring praise and honor and glory to the Lord when you fulfill your promises. When you're a man or a woman of integrity, others are brought to praise the Lord too when you fulfill your promises. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 5 says. It says, it's better to not vow than to vow and not pay. So let's be men and women of our word. Let's be those men and women that treat people the way Jesus would treat them. Now listen, I may not have all the politically correct things to say, quite frankly, I'm not bothered that I do not. But what I can tell you is what God's word says. And I can tell you that if you live according to God's word, you will find yourself in the best place that you can possibly be to help those that are in need and to safeguard yourself for, from spiritually crumbling from the inside out. In verse 14 through uh, 15 now, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, so Nehemiah is now the governor, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate at the governor's provision, or ate the governor's provision, rather. Verse 15, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Is this a, a do as I say, not as I do type of situation with Nehemiah? Absolutely not. He didn't tell those people over there, hey, you get your act together and then meanwhile ignore his own advice. So this was not a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. He didn't tell the nobles not to do something that he was doing himself. Nehemiah set the example of what servant leadership is all about. Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you know, you, you learn to be the servant, a servant. First will be last, last will be first. 
Jesus washed his disciples' feet, laid his life down for for the sins of the world, the ones that hated him, the ones that made mistakes and they loved him and everybody in between. Jesus was the best example for us to follow and we see a great leadership example to follow as well in the man Nehemiah. In verses 16 through 19, as we conclude our study today, it says, Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now, verse 18, that which was prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. And so he says, this is how I treated those. I wasn't heavy on them. I wanted to help them and I served them. And my leadership style was a servant leadership model. And so at the end, the very last verse, verse 19 today, Nehemiah in his prayer to the Lord says, remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. And may that be the prayer for us. We have a short life to live here, a very short life to live here on this earth. May it be so like it was for Nehemiah that we would pray to the Lord, that we would overcome adversity, that we would be that example of what it means to to love others and to lead others and point them to the Lord. And that the Lord would give us such grace that we might be able to say that we actually did something for someone else. And that it blessed them and it helped them and it brought them to the Lord and it brought glory to our God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would please bless your church, bless your people. And Lord, we pray, Father, for what's been happening in our country. We ask, Lord, that there would be a great revival that sweeps across the United States of America, Lord. I pray, God, that you would give us greater understanding to the needs and the hurts of the people, Lord, in our country and even around the world. Give us empathy, Lord. Give us understanding like you understand. And Lord, help us uh, to bring people to you where they might come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us as the church to be the light that shines in a dark world. Please protect us. Please use us. And I pray for these things. And I ask for these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. Amen. So may the Lord bless you today. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.